0: Welcome back to Lost in Twin Peaks. This episode will cover the question of who killed Laura Palmer by looking at the mystery clues revealed in this episode and adding them up to some sort of big picture that we have up to this point. And we'll also discuss the structure of the episode, uh, how the scenes unfold, how they're organized into different acts, and the effect that that has. Here's the material for who killed Laura Palmer. Uh, First of all, before we get to the clues we do get, what we don't get is a specific answer that Cooper promised us at the end of episode two. Did he actually know something, or was his brain just in another space where he thought he knew something that he didn't? If it's the former, it's pretty irresponsible of him not to write it down. It reminds me of the Mad Men scene where one of the characters has a brilliant idea for an ad, but he gets drunk and forgets it the next morning. Except in this case, future victims' lives could be on the line. Here are the new clues about the murder and the surrounding incidents. From the dream description, known to investigators, I mentioned most of the details last week anyways as part of the alternate ending to the pilot, but it's actually in this episode that we get the full information that we don't see as part of the dream that was cut out for time. Uh, So that includes like Sarah seeing Bob, Mike calling Cooper, Mike shooting Bob, and then it being 25 years later in the Red Room. I think the writers thought that they were just going to cut in the entire alternate ending scene. So that's why I considered it kind of canonical, even before Cooper mentions it, this scene. And also we find out that Cooper views this dream as a code to be broken in order to solve the murder. From Albert's autopsy and other forensic work known to investigators, we get a lot of material here. Cocaine is in the diary envelope. Toxicology proves positive for cocaine in her system, Laura's system as well. There are fibers of twine embedded in her wrists and upper arms, different types of twine. And fibers of twine found in the railroad card match the samples from her wrists. The same twine was used to bind the wrists of Renette. So Albert concludes that she was tied up twice in different locations, and Cooper notes uh, that in his dream, Laura, or the little man's cousin, said, sometimes my arms bend back. And Albert shows that that's probably how she was tied up there. Traces of pumice are found in the water outside the train car. That's industrial-strength soap. Pumice is actually volcanic rock used in a, as an abrasive and stronger than usual personal beauty care products. I didn't know that, so something I learned now from Twin Peaks. Uh, there's a sample of that same soap on Laura's neck. It's not our home-use brand, so Albert concludes here that the killer washed their hands and leaned in for a kiss. Now, Albert says specifically in this scene, the killer washed his hands, so there's a presumption that the killer is a man, and Unfortunately, given the sexual nature of the crime, it's not hard to see why they would think that. We we know that Renette was raped, and that Laura had sex with three people that day, according to Doc's autopsy. Uh, we don't know for sure that she was raped, at least based on the information we've received, but it seems likely. And the killer is uh, and the rapist are presumed to be the same. It's worth noting that while the show is airing, there were viewers who disagreed with this narrowing, uh, and and had different interpretations. So speculation about it being a woman who was the killer. So I guess they were expecting there to be multiple culprits probably in that case because we know almost certainly at least one of the people in there was was a man. So moving on, uh, Albert finds out that there's claw marks and bites on Laura's neck and shoulder and she had a small plastic fragment in her stomach that had a J on it. New clues about Laura's life leading up to her death from Audrey Uh, This is something that Cooper finds out, and then so the whole investigation gets to know about this. We find out Laura worked at Horn's perfume counter. From Father Clarence, we find out that Laura was baptized and instructed in Sunday school. She was headstrong and bold, bright, beautiful, charming, impatient for her life to begin, and for the world to finally catch up to her dreams and ambitions, and she used to say that he talked too much. From Bobby, we find out everyone knew that she was in trouble, but they didn't do anything. And according to him, they they would have laughed at her prayers, or she would have laughed at their prayers. So he has kind of a jaundiced view of her from that, but also a sympathetic one and anger at the townspeople. From Jacoby, uh, we find out that Laura restored his devotion to his clients, or at least to one client, her. Information that's known to us but now introduced to new characters includes Renette working at the perfume co- counter. Uh, Cooper tells Audrey about this, and she's quite surprised. So let's consolidate this. Here are the separate parts of the mystery subplots. Uh, Here are the updates we get in each of those separate parts of the mystery. For Bobby, we see that he's bitter and angry about what happened to Laura. We haven't seen him care this much about her death since the pilot, when it seemed a bit forced. Is this rage at his lack of power, or is it guilt bearing some responsibility, perhaps more than just the general one that he lets on? Uh, For Renette, this is the bingo episode. We find out her connection uh, to Laura. They both worked at the perfume counter at horns department store so there's a good chance that they worked at one-eye Jacks too because uh, that Ben mentioned that there's like a freshly scented girl from the per, freshly scented from the perfume counter in episode two so who knows what's going on with that It's possible though if they did work at one eye Jacks that Ben might have slept with them so we're getting a lot just from that one fact that Laura worked at uh, the perfume counter opens up all of these possibilities for the crime scene we find out Laura was tied up twice in two different locations attacked by an animal swallowed a plastic fragment with a J on it and that the killer kissed her and for the criminal world uh, part of the the mystery we find out the cocaine trade is connected to not just Laura Bobby Mike and Leo but also the Renault brothers and there's also a likely connection to her and one-eyed Jacks, for the serial killer there's no new information uh, Albert does not make any connections as we thought maybe he would for James, he's still haunted by Lara's death, of course, and uh, fights with Bobby when he says that Lara would have laughed at them. And he's attached to a certain vision of her, which we've been led to believe isn't true. Is it possible this led him to lash out violently? For Leo, he lies to law enforcement about knowing Lara. They give us specifics about his minor criminal record an illegal U turn, drunken, disorderly, aggravated assault. And Leo reiterates the alibi that Shelley hinted at in the pilot, which is that he was out of town the night Laura died. For Charity, we don't get anything new, although the religious life seems sort of tangentially related. Uh, We're basically left with Meals on Wheels, Josie, and Johnny from the previous episodes. Mystery Man, we also get no new info, except that Jacques, who didn't appear in Cooper's Board, is also a J, and... Uh, Laura had a J on something she'd digested, so maybe we're not through with the Js yet. For the uh, Jacoby part of the story, we find out Laura made him care about his patients again, and we see him less cynically or creepily than we did in the earlier episodes. Uh, But he does say that he hopes she can forgive him, which is a little ominous. For the Ben part of the story, for the part of the mystery, we find out uh, he was Laura's boss, possibly her lover if she worked at One-Eyed Jack's. He participates in an attempt to take Laura's body from the morgue, which wouldn't mean much, because we're not given a reason to suspect Doc, who also wants to get Laura out of there before Albert does anything else so that they can get her buried. But because of Audrey's previous comments about Ben singing to Laura and all of that, we're maybe a little suspicious of his motives there. And from the Cooper's dream part of the story, uh, we find out that it's now considered a code to be broken, and we already get a few... Uh, areas where the code is at least addressed. Sometimes my arms bend back connects to how Laura was tied up and Maddie is a cousin who looks almost exactly like Laura Palmer. And there's one new section of this mystery plot which I would call community. Find out Laura was religious and recognized as headstrong and impatient uh, to grow up and everyone may have known she was in some sort of trouble. So, let's gather the clues. Laura left James and Bobby with different impressions of her that they want to defend or use to attack others. She worked with net at the perfume counter, which Ben owns, and maybe connected to one Eye Jacks which Ben patronizes. She was tied up twice in different locations, attacked by an animal, swallowed a plastic fragment with a J, and was kissed by the killer. She was at least tangentially connected to the Renaults in the drug trade. Her connection to Leo is emphatically covered up by him and she deeply inspired Jacoby. Cooper's dream about her is yielding several real-world connections, and she had a religious life and was known to friends and neighbors as willful and troubled. In short, Laura was a publicly generous and privately troubled young woman who worked at Ben's department store, was involved in criminal networks, may have had a violent encounter with Leo the day she died, and was tortured and murdered by a possibly occultist serial killer, who may be her mystery man. The episode's structure, returning to the usual single-day narrative of the pilot in episode one, also draws on the sense of orderly organization. Each act has a particular point of emphasis and centralizing drama, to the point where some of the acts are almost entirely dominated by a single through-line. And overall, more so than any previous episode, except the pilot, with Laura's murder itself, the entry has a dominant event at its core, Laura's funeral. Commercial breaks are more evenly distributed than last time, although they gradually draw closer together as the episode proceeds. There's also one more break than last week, unless I miscounted, but it makes sense that there would be more because that episode was a couple minutes longer than this one. The first break appears at 12 minutes between Maddie embracing Leland and Norma talking to Hank's Yank's parole officer. Around 22 minutes, we fade down on Cooper telling Diane he would like to look into Twin Peaks real estate and fade up on a forlorn Big Ed gazing at Nadine's figurines before they head to the funeral. Near 31 minutes, commercials separate Leland rising and sinking atop the coffin from Shelley making fun of him in front of a guffawing diner patron. And then 37 minutes into the episode, a break comes between Shelley placing the gun inside a hidden compartment and then Josie and Harry together at her place, talking about the secrets that Catherine's hiding. So with that in mind, the first act is very Laura dream-focused. The second act is more diffuse, mostly tying up loose ends before the funeral, The third act is all about the funeral, with two preceding scenes that are both directly related to characters preparing for that event, and the fourth act transitions into exclusive focus on the bookhouse boys' drug deal storyline. The fifth act is anchored in the Packard drama, with a few postscripts to the funeral with Jacoby, Hawk, and Leland. At this point, three stories, possibly related but so far pretty distinct from one another, are emerging as the major plots. The murder of Laura Palmer, the Packard sawmill ghostwood intrigue, and the cocaine traffic making its way from Canada into Twin Peaks. Of course, there are other threads in this and previous episodes that could come back to the surface, too. The previously-on recap emphasizes Albert's arrival, Jacoby's intro to the pilot, uh, in the pilot, Mike and Bobby owing Leo ten grand. Major Briggs attempting to communicate with Bobby. Pete giving Josie the key to look at the safe. Bobby threatening James. Leland dancing with Laura's portrait and breaking it. And Coop calling Harry to say meet me at breakfast 7 a.m. 7 a.m. in the hotel lobby so that he can tell him about his dream. Uh, so that's quite, quite a bit of stuff that they wanted you to keep in mind going into this episode. Uh, I forgot to mention how specific those instructions are. 7 a.m. in the hotel lobby, and we pick up right with that at the beginning of this episode. So this being the episode centered around Laura's funeral, it's not particularly surprising, but the story that drives more scenes than any other is Laura's murder, meaning specifically the night of her death, the evidence surrounding it, Albert having come to town and doing this autopsy his forensics and all of that that uh, and the funeral coming directly out of the fact that she's died uh here we have this storyline um at this point now we've got two episodes in a row where laura's murder is the top storyline and the first two episodes, it was actually her relationship to James that was the top storyline. So interesting to see how that ground has shifted slightly. We are now more concerned with the circumstances specifically surrounding her death than uh, than, than we are with that romance that seemed to be so central leading up to it. Tomorrow, we will continue uh, talking about the stories as we look at the scenes divided up by Laura's storyline. So starting with those... Uh, threads introduced in the pilot and moving up to new ones, uh, talking about the scenes within each of those uh, narratives. Please rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts to support this podcast. You can also become a patron at patreon.com slash lost in the movies. See you tomorrow.